Chapter One A Man Adrift It began in 1923 when Maxwell Knight agreed to meet a man called McGill. Knight, or just Max, as everybody knew him, was an energetic 23 year old, unhappily employed as a school games teacher. He was good looking in an unconventional way, ears a little too big, nose more prominent than he might have liked. He wore his hair scraped back under a film of pomade. He had an easy, sporty air and the enviable ability to put people at ease. Yet on that particular day, the day that he went to meet McGill, it is unlikely that he was feeling his usual relaxed self. Although there is no record of where this interview took place, it was probably at the Guards Club in central London, where McGill had conducted meetings like this in the past. Entering the club, Max would have noticed the sudden change in atmosphere as the doors to the street cracked shut behind him. It was worlds away from the sweaty, swaying clubs of nearby Soho, where he spent most of his evenings. The air tasted cleaner in here. The lighting was sharper, more refined. It was quieter, too, the silence broken only by the hushed drum of his footsteps and the distant flutters of conversation. Indeed, most features of this venerable gentleman's club from its polished neo-Georgian furnishings and Palladian proportions to the enormous elevated portraits of gimlet-eyed army officers had been chosen to impress upon visitors the caliber and standing of the men who belonged to this military tribe. Usually, it had the effect of putting newcomers on edge. Making matters worse, Max had almost no idea what he was doing there. He had agreed to the meeting after a chance encounter at an event staged by the British Empire Union a right-wing political group that campaigned against the spread of communism. Max had got into conversation with John Baker White, the son of a Kentish landowner. Baker White had asked the young games teacher whether he might be interested in doing some part-time work of a patriotic nature. For reasons that will soon become clear, Max agreed immediately. The man that Max was now set to meet was Sir George McGill, 11th Baronet and a jury 11th Viscount of Oxford, a square-jawed industrialist who was also a Freemason, a novelist and a terrifying interviewer. Another young man who went to meet McGill in similar circumstances would confess that, except for an uncomfortable 24 hours I spent with the Troisième Bureau, part of the French security service, sometime later, I have never experienced such searching cross-questioning. Max had just walked into the job interview from hell for a position that had not yet been described to him. McGill's aim in the cross-examination that followed was simple. This no-nonsense, gruff industrialist wanted to get the measure of Maxwell Knight to find out what this 23-year-old stood for, the type of man he was, and, most importantly, whether he could be trusted. All of us are guilty in job interviews of projecting a version of ourselves or at least trying to do so. Max would have gone out of his way to present himself to McGill as an upright ex-naval officer from a good family, a young man who is patriotic, tough, and utterly trustworthy. In some ways, he was all these things. During the last two years of the First World War, Max had been an officer in the Royal Naval Reserve, having volunteered for active service at the age of 17. He had served on destroyers and converted trawlers, and although he did not see enemy action, he was thought to have done well and was promoted to hydrophone officer first class, 
finishing the war with the rank of midshipman. Even though Max was forced to take shore leave on one occasion as a result of seasickness, he was judged to be a promising young officer. Before that, Max had spent several years as a cadet on HMS Worcester, a doggedly strict naval training vessel. So no one could quibble with his describing himself as tough. As for his family background, Max could draw faithfully on childhood memories of exploring the grounds of the Knight family pile in Wales, Tithigston Court, a manor house set amid glorious rolling parkland. His ancestors had been clerics, antiquarians, and landowners. One of his cousins was R.D. Blackmore, author of Lorna Doon, the classic Victorian romance. Although they were not quite landed gentry, the knights had been men and women of private means and admirable reputation. When asked about his politics, Max could...